The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hope everybody's doing well. It's going to be a great week. Um, we got some things going on online, uh, of course, in person. Mentioned Good Friday, stuff like that. So it's going to be a fun week. A couple of things I want to mention before we jump into our text today and we take on this topic of celebration as part two. Um, and, and that is this. Many of you are aware that we're expanding our facility. We're working with architects. We've been doing that for some time. Um, but we really are looking to break ground this fall. And I bring you into it for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, encourage you to be prayerful um, right now as we work with the architects. We've already actually had meetings a little while ago, actually a few days ago, as we looked at sort of, sort of wall coverings and carpet and things like that. And what we're doing is we're moving towards getting blueprints to get to the city for permitting, which will take a certain amount of time, and then working with general contractors and the bidding process and all that. So just something to be praying about. Pray for wisdom as we take these steps. Obviously, uh, a sense of generosity together as we say, you know, we're all in this together. We want to make room uh, for other people to be able to gather and join the family of Jesus here at the Grove um, so appreciate you praying for that. And then also just wisdom as um, part of our uh, project, we want to involve those in, in the Grove Church that are part of commercial work. And so having a general contractor that will allow certain individuals that could help us maybe save on the bottom line financially would be a big deal. So I want to pray for that, um, but also want to pray for the, the message today. So let's pray together. God, thank you for all that you're doing as it's really our passion to see the transformation of communities, to see the light come on in people's hearts that Jesus is on the throne. And God, God, we ask for that in all of our hearts individually. We also want to be not just about ourselves, but God, making room that people can join the family of Jesus here. And we're grateful for what you've already been doing. Pray for even those that are visiting today, that God, your spirit would work and continue to, to, to move in every heart, God, that we can encounter your presence as I always pray on Sundays, God. And Father, even as we go through this message today, that we would be convinced, God, it would be a conviction of ours that we find reasons in our world to celebrate in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Well, listen, um, today, typically I'll take a certain text in Scripture and we'll walk through it. But um, today, as we talk about the how of celebration, there's going to be a lot of different places that we land. So if you got something to take notes with, maybe your phone, maybe you got something to write notes on, a little notepad or a journal book, um, I encourage you to take some notes because there's going to be a bunch of places that I am going to uh, mention. So, uh, but as we jump in, some of you are aware of like uh, personality profiles or um, profiles that help you understand navigating relationships with people and business. There's Strengths Finder, there's Disc, there's Myers Briggs, things like that. Anybody heard of those before? Probably a lot of us. Um, there's an, there's another one. It's been around for a long time, but it's kind of had a resurgence the last few years. It's called the Enneagram. E N N E A G R. AM. And the Enneagram talks about there's nine basic personality profiles. And in the Enneagram, um, I've read certain books and things on it, and you're reading certain profiles, and what you do is go, oh, that's who my wife is, or that's how you know, they operate, or my kids, or whoever, and the light bulbs come on. But then something terrifying happens. You read the chapter that identifies your profile, and you're like, is somebody following me around? Because they know me really too well. Um, and that happened to me where when I read the Enneagram and, and, and was going through this uh, certain book in particular, um, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. If you know that at all, um, that's the one you don't necessarily want to be because you're the challenger. Um, and so 
uh, a challenger, problem solver, stuff like that. But the good news of it is there's different nuances to each personality. So it talks about, you know, like I'm an eight, but I'm a wing seven. The seven is great news because they're the enthusiast. They're the, the person who like likes the lighthearted and the fun. So I'm an eight wing seven, but my son, Jack, is, is a seven through and through. And the thing about that is they see like the glass half full all the time. They enjoy fun. In fact, if there's nothing even in the glass, it's still half full. And so... Um, I love being around him because he does love to celebrate. He loves to look at life as glass half full. He loves to have fun. Um, and so I appreciate that a ton. We need people like Jack in our lives because celebration needs to be a part of who we are. And like I said, we're gonna navigate a bunch of scripture today in a different way than I usually do. But um, we need to celebrate and we need to find reasons to stop and appreciate the world that we're in and what God does to, to sort of navigate and bless us. And the fact is this, we're not always good at it. In the world that we live in, if you look at social media, there's so much that seems negative and divisive and people arguing and bickering back and forth. If you watch 24-hour news cycles, I would guess you're becoming more full of anxiety and more angry rather than more happy about life. Um, and so th there's this world we live in where it's especially true with anxiety and depression being rampant. But listen, it's also especially true for those of us that would say that we're followers of Christ because there's something about, and we took some time last week to do this, there's something about looking at the life of Jesus where there was continual celebration. And in fact, if you go back to the old covenant, in the book of Exodus, as the nation of Israel is establishing their law, they were required to celebrate. Did you know that? The nation was required to celebrate. In fact, if you're taking notes, write down Exodus 23. And in Exodus 23, starting at verse 14, um, the, 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 um, the law actually states that you need to celebrate the the exodus of Israel from Egypt, the Passover, and you're required, it says everybody's required to celebrate that. You're required to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest offering. So you're required to celebrate that. And at the end of harvest, you're required to celebrate as well. They were required to celebrate and they understood that celebration is an absolute necessity. Some of you might remember that old song from the birds, there's a time for everything under heaven. That actually comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter three. And one of the things it says in there is there is a time to laugh. And so the fact is over and over, we can kind of build this case for that, that celebration is absolutely necessary. But today, last week we talked about kind of the why and the, theolo the theology behind it. Today, I wanna to talk a little more about the how, the practicals of it, which is why we're gonna be in a bunch of different places. And let me start with this. Celebration begins with obedience, Celebration starts with obedience. And that can be a weird place to, to have this conversation because what does that have to do with anything? Here's what I know. God has put in every single one of us a, a conscience. Are we familiar with this at all, right? Okay, we all have a conscience. And when we violate our conscience, when we disobey and don't do what we ought to do, there's something in us that isn't setting right. There's a conviction that lands in our hearts. And so when we walk in disobedience, it robs us from real joy. It robs us from real celebration. We, we become unsettled. We make excuses for why we gave in or, or did that certain thing. And what happens is we invite turmoil. We justify the rebel inside of us. Well, that doesn't apply to me and so I can do this, but we know deep in our hearts that something is amiss. In fact, justifying in that context 
is actually trying to find peace or celebration without surrender. And for those of us that are in Christ, it doesn't work that way. We don't celebrate apart from Christ. We celebrate through the lens of our faith. So celebration starts with obedience. A great example in Proverbs 6, verses 27 through 29, talking about disobedience, it says this, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? It's a rhetorical question, by the way. (laughs) Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Again, if we excuse reasons why we can get away with certain things, and that's just one example, we're not going to get away with it the way that we think we are. We're gonna reap the consequences of that behavior. There's an old hymn, and I love how today we sang one of the old hymns, but there's an old hymn that says this, to be happy in Jesus is to obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and... Oh, I know you're like, why don't you lead worship? I know, right? I get it. I was terrified back in college when I was going to school for ministry, and one of the projects we had to do in our worship class was lead the class with a hymn book. Terrified, because that's how it used to work. I am so grateful for a team that can do music, and you probably are too. Can I hear an amen? Um, anyway. But the old song says, trust and obey. There's a story in Luke. If you're taking notes, write down Luke 11, 27, and 28. Jesus was teaching the crowds and performing miracles, and people were marveling at him. And at one point in the crowd, this woman yells out this, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus' immediate response in that moment was this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so when we talk about celebration in our context through the lens of our faith, it starts with obedience. Our ability to find joy and celebration begins with our worldview that God is on the throne and not ourselves and not our excuses and not our disobedience. Number two, we gotta make sure that you and I can find joy in the simple things. And I know for some of you go, well, that goes without saying. But if you read scripture at all, and I talk about you and I being daily readers of scripture, having a habit of reading the Bible and, 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 and processing, understanding it, but the Psalms alone talk about the idea of finding joy as we look out the window at mountains, as, as we, as we you know, watch. And I mentioned last week the idea of trees that are budding and tulips that are blooming and the beauty of creation. The psalmist talks over and over of those things and sunrises and sunsets and oceans and waterways and all this stuff. Talks about fruit-bearing plants and all that. The, the, the writers of scripture in other places talk about the marvel of the human body and, and even eyesight and, and all of these things that there's, there's glory and beauty in, things to celebrate. Animals and birds and fish and pottery and utensils and even buildings, transportation, clothing. The church is something celebrated in the New Testament as well as the gospel, which gospel means good news, the work of Christ for you and I, and we're getting there. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag for next week, but he doesn't stay dead, by the way. So just a heads up. But finding joy in the simple things. If you take some time to read the Psalms, you're going to stumble upon individuals writing about the joy of the simple things in life. Number three, laugh more. Some of you don't laugh enough. 
Some of you could sit back and when was the last time you had a real good belly laugh? When was the last time you laughed so hard you could barely breathe? You're like, oh, that was back when I was a teenager. I don't do that anymore. Shame on you. Like there's something about, well, I'm more mature now. Knock it off. There was a quote I read last week from G.K. Chesterton. Listen to the message if you need to. But that whole idea is that we, we lose our sense of wonder and, and joy in the world. And the quote at the end of it from G.K. Chesterton is that our father is, is younger than we are. And there's something criminal about that idea. Proverbs 15, 15 says this. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. We hear these things, we know these things, but do we practice these things? Yes, I'm a father. Yes, I've been raising kids. But for as long as I can remember, we record America's Funniest Videos every week and we watch it. And we laugh because there's something about in the seriousness of life, being able to laugh at certain things. Is anybody with me? Okay, I know I've done this before, but what if you and I just gave a good belly laugh real quick right now? Can we just do that? Some of you hate it. Okay, hold on, hold on. Here we go. On the count of three, I just want you to just let out a good laugh. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Amazingly, that feels good. And some of you are like, what just happened? The joke last week, like, you're dipped in pickle juice. Quit being sour. Some of us think that to be holy is to always be serious. Knock it off. We've got to find, I mentioned last week, the guy that couldn't walk, and then I danced in front of you. And do you know what happened? I received a connect card from somebody who said, hey, you mentioned maybe moonwalking on Easter. Could you please make sure you do that in the 10 o'clock service when my family's here? I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was amazing because for you and I, when Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, what is it about our lives if we always look like we're dipped in pickle juice that anybody would want? You're always sour. You're always serious. You're never good enough. You don't measure up. Why would I want to be around that? That's not the nature of our God. Our God required Israel to stop and celebrate. Stop and celebrate. Stop and celebrate. And some of that includes our ability to laugh. I don't know if you like to listen to stand-up comedy, but I do. And there's some great stand-up comics out there. Last summer, I bought tickets to Nate Bargatze for, next, for this coming May, a month from now. I bought eight tickets last summer because I'm, I'm going to bring some friends. And we're going to party up in Bellingham and laugh at a great comedian who's clean. If you haven't listened to Nate Bargatze, listen. He's hilarious. Dustin Johnson's another one. He was actually a youth pastor, right? Nobody's surprised by that. You know, like typical youth pastor. I was a youth pastor too. We're a bunch of morons. Anyway, we'll keep going. I meant that in a good way. Jim Gaffigan, I've listened to him for years. Find a great comedian and listen and laugh. Number four, find a joy mentor. Have you ever been around somebody that makes you feel alive? Ever been around somebody that seems to lighten the burden of life? Been around somebody that, like I said earlier, looks at the glass half full. There's people for you and I that, that we gravitate towards because they bring life to our lives. Make an intentional you know, shot to get around those people. Make it a point to spend time with them. Maybe even at certain moments, ask questions like, how do you be so lighthearted when life can feel so serious? How do you find the glass half full when everything seems to be falling apart? 
How do you, in the midst of some of the stress you face, continue to have joy? Get around those people. They have a zest for life, and they bring life to you. They're life-giving. And if you only know them from afar, I know we talk about social media. Follow them on social media. Watch what they're doing. Listen to a podcast they're on. Maybe they've written a book. Get a book and read it. But also be aware that, yes, there's, there's people we need to find as joy mentors because they add life, but there are also joy stealers. Some of us know these people. And when we see them, we run. And nobody wants to admit that, but there are people around us that we know don't bring life. And so we tend to not want to be around those people. Be aware of those people. I mentioned this book by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. And he shares one of these stories. Listen to this. A farmer had a neighbor, a constant complainer, a wet blanket in the linen closet of life. The farmer decided to impress this man for once in his existence, so he bought the world's greatest hunting dog, trained it thoroughly, and invited his joyless friend to go hunting. He showed the neighbor how his dog could stand motionless for an hour and pick up a scent a mile away. No response. From the blind, the farmer shot a duck, which landed in the middle of the pond. Upon command, the dog trotted out, walked on the surface of the water, retrieved the bird, and dropped him at the feet of his master. What do you think of that? The farmer challenged his neighbor, to which his friend responded, your dog can't swim, can he? (laughs) Again, I share it because, yes, it makes us laugh. But again, you know people like that. Everything can be amazing. You can be at a party celebrating, and they can find what's wrong. It's too cold in here. The food isn't good enough. Where do they get it from? They're going to run out. There's people that are like that. Stay away. Be aware of being around people like that. In fact, Ortberg goes on to share in that, right after that story, we all know people like that. We all have to endure a few joy-destroying people in life. We need to love them as best we can, but we also have to be very careful to not let them shape us. We may need to limit the time we spend with them. We certainly need to restrain their ability to sway our hearts. So on one hand, be careful of your time with joy stealers, but make it a point to be around those that can build joy into your life. Number five, and again, these aren't in order of importance necessarily, but number five, leverage moments to celebrate. Like I said, this week is a week to celebrate from Palm Sunday today where they're they're waving palm branches as Jesus enters Jerusalem saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it leads all the way up to Jesus' arrest and trial and, and crucifixion and death and burial and then resurrection Sunday. But we're getting to what I said for next week. This whole series is only a two parter is really leading up to what we're gonna celebrate next week. But make it a point to somebody. It's easy to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It's easy and we should celebrate something like Christmas. Jesus coming into this world, Mary and Joseph and the whole story. It's easy for us as Americans to celebrate on the 4th of July. Great, but don't pass by birthdays. Don't pass by anniversaries. Don't pass by graduations without celebrating. And by the way, it doesn't have to be expensive. We're not talking about some extravagant thing that costs a lot of money, but stopping to acknowledge these things brings joy. We do baptisms here at the Grove Church all the time. And I love to hear the stories of families that afterwards will go have a party for somebody who got baptized. We'll gather and have a meal together and celebrate. 
We'll sometimes even give gifts as, as if a birthday for moments like that. Baptism, celebrating, promotions, raises, a new job, kids making a sports team or the end of a school year. There's all kinds of ways to celebrate sobriety. I love how there's one individual in here who regularly celebrates their sobriety. And I think that's awesome. Because again, that's worth celebrating or maybe benchmarks for health or fitness goals. I mentioned before that next month is my 30th birthday in Jesus. That I gave my life to Christ 30 years ago next month. And I told my wife, Let's, we're going to celebrate that. Because I happen to appreciate what God's done in my life over the last 30 years. Number six, vacations. If you have that, I hope you do, you've got to step back from all the responsibility of life and take time to rejuvenate and rest. And if you get a few days or you get a week or whatever you might get, take that time to step back. There's a reason that, that Jesus acknowledged the value of the Sabbath, the idea of setting aside a day a week to step back from responsibility, to step back from busyness and to breathe and to rest and to honor Christ and, and the value of him in our lives once every week, once every seven days. I love how the root word of vacation is vacate. It's simple to get away from all the normal stuff. To, to, to go visit a new city or a beach or, or, you know, go somewhere in the world. And again, you don't have to go somewhere extravagant, although I love living vicariously through some of you. I love how Evan and Ashley, part of our team at the Grove Church, they've been in Europe for the past two weeks. I got to watch it all over the way from Paris and Florence, and they went to London. And I, got, I saw some picture of Evan at the, the top of a castle in a hailstorm. And he's like, you know, but hey, celebrate the fact they got away and they intentionally carved out the money in their budget to be able to go on a trip like that. Great. And again, you don't have to go all over the place. Some of us just easy to go to Granite Falls. Okay, that was a joke, but anyway. So we'll just, let's keep going. If you're from Granite Falls, God bless you. I live halfway. So Some of you just need to take a hike. That's a bad dad joke. Okay, we'll keep going. Number seven. And th this is pretty simple, but begin now. And you go, well, wow, big deal. Why do you say that? The reason I say it is because oftentimes we live with the illusion that joy will begin when our lives are in order. And every one of us, if we were brutally honest, rarely have moments where everything seems in order. We're always like, I don't know what you're doing, God. I don't understand what's going on in our world. I don't understand your will for my life. I don't understand why that door closed. I don't understand why this is happening in my family. I don't understand why that's happening at my job. And we feel the strain and stress and anxiety. And those are regular occurrences, but we've got to choose to begin now because here's the problem. There's not often a time in life where everything's in order. Therefore, we would never celebrate. Begin now. Psalm 118.24 says this, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In fact, I want to say that together. If you're online, say it out loud to the person sitting on the couch next to you. But anyway, okay, so everybody in here, say this with me. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when everything's in order. Today, find reason to celebrate today. And sometimes we wonder, well, how can I have joy 
when it does feel like my life is falling apart? How can I have joy in the midst of the suffering that goes on in our world or in my family or whatever it might be? And I would challenge you with this. Often it's the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. Have you ever heard the name Mother Teresa? She was known for having this glimmer and this joy in her countenance, even though she worked in Calcutta, India, with the poorest of the poor in orphanages where kids were left on the street regularly. She was known for the joy that she carried. So it had nothing to do with her circumstances. I read last year Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography. You go, who, who's that? He's a theologian and a pastor who lived during the run-up to World War II and ended up eventually being killed by the Nazis. But he was known, even when he was imprisoned, he was known as somebody who carried a joy and a deep appreciation for the fact that he was still alive. What about that? Like I said, oftentimes we can excuse our need to celebrate, our need to have joy, because our circumstances don't always dictate it. But we've got to learn to celebrate even in the midst of things that are challenging because there almost always is challenging circumstances. Number eight, keep a biblical worldview. And again, these aren't some, some formula. They're not a number one, number two in, in some order of priority. But for you and I, it's keeping that biblical worldview and more specifically understanding when you and I take in scripture and you and I read, what we'll find is an ongoing theme. And we're gonna get to this next week when we celebrate and I might moonwalk, okay? But, but the, the ongoing theme that not only do we have a, a good God who loves us, but simply this phrase, in the end, God wins. Is anybody with me? It doesn't matter at all. In the end, God wins. That circumstances can be out of control. We can look at life and go, I don't understand why this happens. I don't understand, God, what you're doing with me here. I don't get why this thing fell apart. I don't get why I feel like a failure. I don't get why we can play that tune all day long but we've got to anchor ourselves to, I've got a God who loves me and is sovereign and is still in control and is on the throne and is coming back for me no matter what. Is anybody with me on that today? And we've, listen, we've got to remember that because the world doesn't say so. Because culture doesn't say so. Because 24 hour news cycles don't say so. What they say to us is that why is there any reason for hope? You're not here on purpose from some creator. You're, you're a, a blob of, of life that was flung out on some random planet. And you don't really matter. And you were an accident in the back of a Buick back in the day. <laughs> what does our world say to us? You can go feel appalled by that. What does our world say to us? We're just one of a billion other whoever's that are a bunch of nobodies and our lives don't really matter. In fact, the weak should just die off and whatever. What does our world say? And yet from the lens of faith, God has every single one of us here for a purpose. God cares deeply about everyone. And I can't wait to celebrate that point next week. We're getting there. But for you and I, we've got to fight to hold on to the fact that we have a God who is sovereign. And in the end, God does win. And even when we don't feel it, and even when we don't see it, and even when it doesn't make any sense at all, we anchor ourselves to understand there's a God in heaven who's controlling all these things. And even though I don't get it, 
I choose to lean into that. Because even when things are out of control, yes, we can still celebrate. Let, let, me, let me finish with, with, again, a story. I know I mentioned this book, um, but John Ortberg shares this talking about when things don't, don't always go incredibly well. It's this book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says this. It takes a certain kind of heroism to continue to celebrate what deserves to be celebrated even when all the details go disastrously wrong. A favorite story of mine expressing this kind of spirit is told by Robert Fulgham about a wedding that was produced on an epic scale by an unhinged character only known as Mother of the Bride. The logistics from an 18-piece brass and wind ensemble to gift registries spreading across most of the continental United States to 24 bridesmaids, groomsmen, flower petal throwers, and ring bearers were of a scale usually seen only during the military invasion of a sizable country. But the plans were all working until the climactic moment of the processional. Ah, the bride. She had been dressed for hours, if not days. No adrenaline was left in her body. Left alone with her father in the reception hall of the church while the march of the maidens went on and on and on, she had walked along tables laden with gourmet goodies and absentmindedly sampled first the little pink and yellow and green mints. Then she picked through the silver bowls of mixed nuts and ate the pecans, followed by a cheese ball or two, some black olives, a handful of glazed almonds, a little sausage with a frilly toothpick stuck in it, a couple of shrimps blanketed in bacon, and a cracker piled high with liver pate. To wash it down, a glass of pink champagne. Her father gave it to her to calm her nerves. What you noticed as the bride stood in the doorway was not her dress, but her face. White. For what was coming down the aisle was a living grenade with the pin pulled out. The bride threw up just as she walked by her mother. And by throw up, I don't mean a polite lady-like erp into her handkerchief, she puked. There's just no nice word for it. I mean, she hosed the front of the chancel, hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, a ring bearer, and me. Only two people were seen smiling. One was the mother of the groom and the other was the father of the bride. The author explains how they pulled themselves together for a much quieter, gentler ceremony in the reception hall and how everybody cried as people are supposed to do at weddings, mostly because the groom held the bride in his arms through the whole ceremony. A groom never kissed a bride more tenderly than he. <laughs> but the best part of the story is that 10 years later, everybody was invite, invited back for another party to celebrate the disaster. They watched the whole thing on three TV sets. The mother of the bride had three video cameras going at once during the wedding, and the party was thrown by the mother of the bride herself. How could all these people rejoice when everything had gone wrong? Because in spite of all the mess, the bride still got the groom. And at the end of the day, that was all that mattered. How is it possible to become a joyful person in a pain-filled world? Look at the promise that comes right near the very end of the Bible. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Heaven's groom gets the bride. The joy that is in store for God's people is so great that the only image that can do it justice is the joy between a lover and his beloved. 
Then we will see the wedding of which the greatest weddings on earth have only been a dim foreshadowing. Then God will dance with his people. Then joy will reign undiminished and uninterrupted. Then we will be filled with the words of the prophet who was trying to express the inexpressible. You shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The apostle John tried to say them too. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Then will dawn that great day that will never end. Father, today, I pray that we would be convinced of our need to celebrate. And it doesn't mean we deny the realities of how heavy at times life can feel. It doesn't mean we ignore things that are painful. But God, it means in the midst of the pain that we face or the confusion that we face or the weight of the world that can seem crumbling all over the place, that even still we carve out intentional ways to celebrate. God, whether it's the basics of holidays or birthdays or it's the ability to stop in an early morning with a cup of coffee, looking out a window and appreciating the birds chirping and the trees leaving and the flowers blooming. Or it's the ability to look in the face of our spouse and appreciate the beauty of who they are and express it to them. Or the love that wells up inside of us when probably any one of us has looked at our kids and marveled at the kind of love that we have for them that reflects even more so the love you have for us. God, I pray that we would be people of celebration. And God, I pray this week, as we navigate through Palm Sunday, as we navigate through looking at in the gospels, the different stories that lead us to the cross, as we get to Friday that we call Good Friday, and that can seem so weird, except that it was good because it was where the gospel is birthed. It was where Jesus went to the cross. And God, he died, but then we get to the party. We get to the ladies going to the tomb and going, wait a minute, he's not here. Or Peter and John go and, and, and see an angel and, and say, he's not here. That, he is, that we're gonna party. God, I pray that our lives could be marked by celebration, not denying the tough, the challenging, the overwhelming, but choosing instead to find ways and reasons to celebrate even still. It makes us richer people. It makes us deeper it's an expression of our faith, believing, like I said, God, in the end, you win. You're on the throne. You've got this, even though we don't always understand it. Jesus, help us anchor our lives to celebration. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.